Today on the Scottso Podcast, we are in our series on the Gospel of John. John writes his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill on this Easter Sunday morning. So great to see all of you here. Those of you who are watching us online, thank you for joining us. And those of you who are in the Cross Point Center, I want to give a shout out to you this morning as about 400 of you are gathering there this morning to worship. And this is a great day. I love Easter Sunday morning. I love Easter Sunday because it's so filled with all kinds of excitement. I love Easter Sunday morning for at least three different reasons. Number one, I love Easter Sunday morning because every one of you here knows exactly what I'm going to preach about today. I'm not going to preach about tithing. I'm not going to preach about any kind of things, you know, that we're preaching. We're going to be talking about the central theme of this day is Resurrection Sunday. And I love Easter Sunday morning, secondly, because it's a great time for the body of Christ to meet together. All across the globe this day, um, countless numbers of believers are meeting together to celebrate our risen Savior and our Lord. And we are gathered here together as a faith family. Many of you covenant members have been members of this church for many years. Some of you recent. Some of you are regular attenders. Some of you are, we are, are, are um, looking to be a part of this body through a formal membership. But as we gather together this morning, we get to meet together. This is what church should look like every single Sunday when we gather together as a faith family. So I love that. And I also love, for another reason, I love it that we have so many guests that are here on Easter Sunday morning. We always get that. Some of you are here because you're new to the community. Maybe you received one of our gift bags to you and you decided to come this morning and say, well, let's see what that's about. Some of you are here maybe because you were at the spring fling yesterday and you said, let's check it out. Some of you are here because you're visiting family from out of town. And they said, if you come with me, I'll feed you today. And so you're here to get a meal. Some of you are here today because you're dating a boy or a girl and they said it would be a really great idea for you to come to church here and participate. Some of you thought you were going to the Methodist church, but you got caught up in our traffic. And uh, welcome to Scott's Hill. We're glad you're here this morning. And, and if you are a believer, this is a great time to celebrate. If you're not a believer, this is a great time to investigate and to understand what it is that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Now, I have to say this, that, that we are unapologetic at Scotts Hill, that we believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. We believe that he resurrected. We believe that he is alive today. Matter of fact, we believe this every single Sunday when we gather together. When we gather, we never come for a funeral service or memorial service. We come for a resurrection party. Amen? And we're here because our Savior is risen and he's alive. Now, we're unapologetic about that. And we want every Sunday to be like Easter Sunday morning as we come to worship a risen, living Lord. But not everybody finds themselves in that place. There's some people who have a hard time with the resurrection because they think it's a myth. It's something that has been told over time from one generation to the next generation that by the time it gets to what we believe today, they believe that that was not the original story, that it changed along the way and therefore it's a myth. 
There's some people who just believe scientifically it is impossible for a person to be dead three days and to be raised to life on the third. So they just reject it straight out because of that. Some individuals, particularly in our day, are in this woke culture, and they're doing what many people call, they're, they're, they're deconstructing their faith. And they're moving away from the traditional values of what they were taught, and they're over here deconstructing it. Now, all of our faith needs some kind of deconstruction because sometimes we add stuff in there that shouldn't be in there. But when people are talking about deconstructing their faith, they're really talking about creating a new faith. And so they reject it altogether. And then there's some here who will say, the resurrection really isn't that big of a deal for me. I mean, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his teachings. I believe all of those things are really good. And so what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? It still really doesn't bother my faith. The problem with that view is Christianity is hinged on the reality of the resurrection. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Christianity would have been put to death in the crib the day that Jesus was born. And so the resurrection is incredibly important. But there are many people who will say, no, it really isn't that big of a deal. There's one man by the name of N.T. Wright, who is supposed to be a Bible scholar, and he struggled for years with this issue of could the resurrection be true or not? And here's what he came down to say. He said, I think the resurrection of Jesus really happened, but I have no idea if it involves anything happening to his corpse, and therefore I have no idea whether it involves an empty tomb. So I would have no problem whatsoever with archaeologists finding the corpse of Jesus. For me, that would not be a discrediting of the Christian faith or of the Christian tradition. Now, there's some major things wrong with that statement. Because the reality is this, without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. And have you ever asked the question, what would happen if Jesus never rose from the dead? What would happen if his body were still in a tomb? What would that mean for us today? Well, this is not a new question that's being asked in 2022. This was a question that the apostle Paul asked 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Garrett read from some of that in the early section of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is seen as the resurrected chapter. It's all about the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19, the apostle Paul raises the question, what if Christ had not been raised? And he gives seven consequences of what would be true if Jesus' body was still in the tomb. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to show you from the Apostle Paul's writing the seven consequences that would occur if Jesus did not rise bodily from the grave. And then I want to show you some proofs that his resurrection is a reality. So I'm going to spend about half of my time this morning looking at those seven consequences, then I'm going to spend the second half looking at the proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So let's begin with prayer, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. Father, thank you for this day as we celebrate together. Thank you, Father, for your word that even the questions that people ask in the 21st century, 
we find that those were issues even 20 years after Jesus was raised to life. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds today to see the importance of the resurrection. And for those of us who are believers, Father, it would comfort us, it would, it would encourage us, it would strengthen us. And Father, if there are any here that are questioning and wanting to know further about the resurrection, that Father, you would speak to their hearts, open their minds, draw them to the truth of yourself. And Father, that you would bring them to a place of clarity and a place of surrender. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 15, beginning in verse 13, but we will also have them all on the screen for you. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 13, the apostle Paul, the premier apostle, ask these questions. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. He goes on, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In these verses, the apostle Paul gives us seven things that you can count on if Christ were still in the tomb. I want to give these to you. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. And then we're going to look at the evidence that proves that he did rise from the dead. Here's the first thing that Paul says. If Christ was not raised, then Christ's character is not credible. If he did not raise from the dead, then you cannot trust his character. If Christ did not raise from the dead, you cannot trust anything he said. Because in verse 13, Paul says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ is still in the tomb, then he is a liar to all of humanity. If Christ is still in the tomb, he is a spiritual charlatan. If Christ is still in the tomb, then you and I should have no empathy, sympathy, or pity for him. We should have anger towards him because he would have misled all of humanity. Why I say that? Because Jesus on many occasions to his disciples told them repeatedly that he would be killed, that he would be buried, and he would be raised on the third day. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 17, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. If Jesus is still in the tomb, then everything he ever taught us, everything he ever said is questionable and his character is not reliable. I want you to think about his whole life. If Jesus was, when he was born, he was to live a sinless life. If Jesus had not sin lived a sinless life, then his virgin birth would have meant nothing. And Jesus was supposed to die on a cross. And because of his death and his sinless life, he would bring salvation. But if Jesus didn't die on the cross, then what it would do is it didn't matter about his sinless life or his virgin birth because he would not have provided salvation. 
But if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then it wouldn't have mattered about whether he died on the cross or whether he claimed to be sinless or whether he claimed to be virgin because everything is hinged on the reality of the promises of his word. And if Jesus is still in the tomb, you and I cannot trust a single word he ever said. And it is his resurrection from the dead that validates every single thing he said to be true. And if he rises from the dead and he said he would, then every single word that Jesus has ever uttered, you and I can know that it is credible and it is absolutely factual. But if his body is still in the tomb, we don't need to pay attention to the words of Jesus. It would be no different than that of Hinduism or Buddhism. There might be higher morals, but there would be no life change if he were still in the tomb. So if Christ were still in a tomb, his character is not credible. But secondly, our preaching is not profitable. If Christ is still in the tomb, there's no use in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Some of you have been listening to me preach for 28 years and you're saying, you see, I believe that. <laughs> and maybe it's not that profitable. But the thing is this. If, it, if he's still in the tomb, I have wasted 35 years of my life in ministry. If he's in the tomb, I've wasted three years of money in seminary. If he's still in the tomb, I've got hundreds of books that I've read that need to be thrown away. If Jesus is still in the tomb, I am wasting my time. And I don't know who the bigger fool would be. Me for preaching it for 28 years or you listening to me preach it for 28 years. None of it would be any profit. In fact, I wrote this down. If Jesus Christ is still in the tomb, bonnets and bunnies make more sense than the cradle and the cross. It would be better for us to celebrate the Easter bunny today than the Lamb of God if Christ were still in the tomb. And let me just say this. If he were still in the tomb, we'd be wasting our time teaching your children about Jesus. We'd be wasting our time teaching students about Jesus. We'd be wasting our time thinking about college students about Jesus. We'd be wasting our time talking to the adults. Missionaries would be wasting their time on the field because preaching would have no power. Let me tell you the third thing that would happen. If Christ was not raised, our faith is not feasible. Our faith would not be feasible. It wouldn't even matter about our faith. Paul writes it twice in this passage in verse 14, and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, your faith is futile. Our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. And if our object of our faith cannot be trusted, then my faith is no good. My faith might as well be in an Easter bunny. It might as well be in something different. If our faith is futile, then the songs that we sang today are useless. Calling on the name of Jesus would be useless. Asking him to answer our prayer would be a waste of time. And your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And if the object of your faith is dead and in a tomb, it would be no different than all the religious leaders of the past who have claimed things that they've never been able to fulfill. Our faith would be worthless. But he goes on. He gives another one. The disciples are not dependable. If Jesus were still in the tomb, you cannot trust 
any disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul puts it in verse 15. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If God did not raise Jesus from the dead, for you and me to tell people that God raised Jesus from the dead, we're not just mistaking, we are false witnesses. We're misrepresenting God is the point here. It's saying you're telling people something that God did not do, therefore you're a false witness. What is a false witness? A false witness is a person who purposefully, knowingly, and willfully tells something that isn't true in the court of law. They perjure themselves and are themselves guilty. And when you and I, if Jesus was still in the tomb, we would be false witnesses. We'd be lying to our kids, lying to our grandkids, lying to our neighbors, lying to our coworkers, lying to people on the mission field, all along the way, misrepresenting God. Do you know what that would mean? That would mean you can't trust the Bible. Because the Old Testament spoke of Jesus all through the prophecies that he would die, that he would raise on the third day, that he would be alive. So you can throw the Old Testament away. You can throw Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John away because they're not dependable. You can throw 13 of the 27 letters away from the Apostle Paul because he would not be credible. You can throw Revelation away and you would have no hope that there would be a returning king because he's still in the tomb. And so the disciples and anyone who claims that would not be dependable. There's another one. Number five, it gets worse. Sin is still sovereign. Here's where it gets really bad. Sin is still sovereign. Verses 16 and 17, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your what? Sins. You're still in your sins. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, there would be no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there would be no reconciliation to a holy God. And without reconciliation, there would be no grace. There would be wrath. And without grace, there would be no sanctification. There would be no justification. There would be no glorification. If Jesus were still in the tomb, you and I would still struggle with all the sin issues of our life with no hope of victory. Every addiction would stay there for all of our lives. Every failure would be a reminder of how short we come. Every sin would be, we would be held accountable for before a holy God. And you and I would live all of our days slaves to sin. And there would be no hope. There would be no source of redeeming the life of a human being because there would be no power. We would still be in our sin. That's bad, but it gets worse. Death has eternal dominion. If Christ is still in a tomb, Death has the dominion over all of humanity. He says this in verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, this is really bad. Those who have fallen asleep, that means those who have died in Jesus Christ, they're gone. They're perished. Your loved ones, your mom and dad, who may have professed Christ and may have tried to live godly lives, they're lost forever. That child that you have loved and that has passed away and has loved the Lord, gone forever. 
Those aunts and those uncles and everybody that we know have been gone forever. If this is true, I would never do another funeral in my life, no matter how much you pay me, because it is lost. Death has dominion and everything comes to an end and there is no hope of an eternity if Christ is still in the tomb. But then here's the last one. Our future is futile. There's no hope for a future. He says this in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now the apostle Paul is painting this gloom picture. He's saying if this is true, then none of us has any hope. The best we can do is just live your best life now and hope for the best. That's it. And there is no security and absolutely no confidence in this world. That is what would happen if Jesus is still in the tomb. But here's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't leave it there, does he? Verse 20, he gives a contrast. In verse 20, he begins with this adversative, the little word, but. And he makes this incredible contrast, and he says this in verse 20, but... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But in fact, now I want you to notice those two little words, in fact. He didn't say, but in my personal opinion, I think Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't say, but I do believe it's altogether possible that Jesus could have risen from the dead. He never says that. He says, but in fact, Christ has risen. And he's speaking of it as fact. This is not a, a, a myth. This is a reality that Jesus Christ physically, bodily rose from the dead on the third day. And I want to tell you, that is what secures all of Christianity. That is what secures our hope. That is what secures our future is the reality of his risen bodily from the grave. Now, what are the evidences of that? Let me give you four evidences now that Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. Number one, an empty tomb. An empty tomb. For 2,000 years, people have been looking for the tomb of Jesus Christ. And they, a uh, tomb that has a body in it. And they will never find it. All four gospel accounts tell us that the tomb was empty. And we know that the tomb was empty. Now, through the course of time, people tried to come up with all kinds of explanations for the empty tomb. The one was this, that all the women went to the wrong tomb that morning. Well, that's easily defendable, right? Because all somebody had to do is go find the right tomb and bring out the body of Christ, and it would have been all over. They went to the right tomb. And some people say, oh, no, the disciples stole the body. That's been debunked. Thieves stole the body. That's been debunked. Some people even say Jesus didn't die on the cross. He swooned. He passed out. And when he was put into the tomb, after three days, he revived. He rolled this big stone out by himself, got out of the tomb, walked a long distance, and displayed himself to his disciples. All of that completely debunked. The tomb is empty. And they will never, ever find the bones of Jesus because he is not there. He is risen. The tomb is empty. Here's the second one. Eyewitness accounts. 
Over 10 times in scripture, we have eyewitness accounts of people seeing the resurrected Jesus from the dead. And let me give you some of those. Ungodly soldiers in Matthew chapter 28, we saw that there was a group of soldiers guarding the tomb. Estimates are about there were 60 soldiers guarding that tomb. That's why the disciples could not have stolen the body or a thief could not have stolen the body. They would not have been able to overpower 60 Roman killing machines. And these 60 Roman guards were guarding the tomb. And we find that after the earthquake happened, they reported to the priest what happened. And the priest paid them off by their own account to tell a lie about what happened. We have a testimony of ungodly soldiers speaking about the resurrection. But we also have unnamed multitudes, unnamed multitudes saying that they've seen the risen Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, the apostle Paul writes, and it says that Jesus appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, many of whom, this is interesting, are still alive today. So when he wrote 1 Corinthians, 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, those people were still alive and given eyewitness accounts that they physically saw Jesus rise from the dead. But then there's a third one, unbelieving disciples. The unbelieving disciples, you might say, why are you saying unbelieving disciples? Let me just remind you of this. The disciples didn't expect Jesus to raise from the dead. When Jesus died, their hopes died. When Jesus was buried, they went into hiding. They were not out in front of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, together as a group going, 10, 9, 8, 7. It's almost here, guys. Four, three, here it comes, here it comes, two. Whoa, sparkling's going off. No, they didn't do that. Because they didn't believe. Nobody expected no body because the disciples believed that he was dead and like any other person who dies you stay dead but then we come to John chapter 20 and we see the first account of the eyewitness and John records it he says now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early the right tomb, by the way. And while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, this was a tremendous stone and it's rolled back with the seal of Rome on it. By doing so would have been, would have been a crime against Rome. It's rolled back. Apparently, Mary looked in now, why did she go to the tomb? Because the men who prepared the body of Jesus had to do it in a hurry. And she probably knew that men in a hurry means that it wasn't done right. <laughs> so she's going to the tomb. She looks in and it's empty. So what does she do? She ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is always John. John is so humble that he doesn't mention himself, but he doesn't have a problem with telling the whole world that he's the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> and he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. See, she didn't believe he rose. Somebody stole him. 
Somebody stole the body of our Lord. In Luke's gospel, it says that when the disciples heard this, they thought it was an idle tale. They didn't even believe it at first. But then what happens is they go and investigate. So John and Peter run to the tomb. And they're running as fast as they can. By the way, they're going to the right tomb. And as they're running to the tomb, John again records that the other disciple outran Peter. It's like, I don't want to brag, but I want everybody to know that I can run faster than Peter for all of eternity. He outruns Peter. He gets to the tomb. He looks in, but he doesn't go in. Peter catches up to him after a few moments out of breath, but he goes right into the tomb. In verse 8, it says this, and then John believed. You know what's really interesting? The garments of Jesus were in the tomb. It says that the garment of Jesus that was wrapped in him was laying in the form, and the Greek is in the form of a person. The picture is that Jesus passed through that shroud. And there was the shroud in the form of a person. And on the other end was the headpiece that was rolled up neatly and left. In that culture, when a man leaves his headpiece at someone's home, it's his sign of saying, I'm coming back. And Jesus left it right there. And John believed. They run back to the house in hiding, still have not seen the resurrected Savior. And as they run back, they're hiding behind these closed doors. Mary decides to stay. And so she's still at the tomb, and we pick it up in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's still thinking somebody stole the body of Jesus. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was him. Why? Because she wasn't looking for him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she must be like looking in the tomb and talking to him behind her, supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Can you imagine her years later telling this story? And she's telling to kids, and she's telling to people, and saying, Jesus was behind me, and I thought he was the gardener. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. Instantly she knew. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And what does she do? Mary Magdalene went and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. I have seen him. 
I didn't just see the empty tomb. I've seen him. He is alive. He spoke to me. He called me by name. He told me to come and tell you that his father and your father, his God and your God has sent me. And can you imagine the joy must be happening in that room? Now, let me tell you the significance of Jesus appearing to Mary. In this culture that we're talking about, women had no place of standing in this culture. Women were not to be trusted. Do you know that a testimony of a woman in a court of law in that day was never allowed? Because women could not be trusted with their testimonies. They were not considered to be valuable, credible witnesses. And yet, who did Jesus appear to first? He appeared to Mary. He appears to this woman. He appears to someone who is considered second-class citizen of culture. Now, if the disciples were making this story up, they never would have written that a woman saw Jesus first and testified because it would have had no credibility in that culture. But the fact that Mary testifies is a fact that the story is true because nobody would include that if it were not. And here she is, gives testimony. That night, Jesus appears before the disciples. Thomas is not there. You see what happens when you miss church? Thomas is not there. <laughs> and then they tell him that Jesus appeared and he says, I don't believe it unless I see the scars in his hands and thrust my hand in his side. Eight days later, Jesus appears and Thomas is in the room. And what does he say? My Lord and my what? My God. And then we find that Jesus is appearing over and over and over and the testimonies are true. Not only an empty tomb, but eyewitnesses who have experienced him. Let me give you two other things real quick. Empowered lives, changed lives. These disciples turned the world upside down after that. Acts chapter four, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus, the risen Jesus. And here's the last one, is the establishment of the church in the Lord's day. We worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week and the church has set that aside as a testimony of the reality of the resurrection. Now let me say today, the majority of you here would agree with everything that I've said. And you would say, yes, I'm so thankful that Jesus has risen, that his life is credible and we can trust him. In fact, we could go back and say that because of the resurrection, Christ is credible. Every single word that he has ever uttered can be trusted. It is true and it is final. Our preaching is not only profitable, but because he's risen from the dead, our preaching is powerful. Our faith is feasible. We can call on him and we can have absolute confidence because the object of our faith is true and he is alive and as disciples, we can be dependable when we preach the message of the gospel. Sin is subdued. It no longer has power over us. Death is defeated because of his resurrection. And our future is fabulous because one day we will be with our king. We will be with our Lord. We will be with our Savior forever and ever and ever. And I love what it says at the end of Revelation. They shall see his face. Because he 
has risen from the dead. And because that is true, if you're here today without Christ, every word he has said can be trusted. And you're not here by accident today. You're here by divine appointment so that you can hear the reality that there are countless stories in this room and all across the world of how Jesus has changed our lives. And the greatest testament of his reality is a changed life. And you can listen to story after story after story and God has given them to you so that you can know the truth that he is alive. He knows you, he knows where you are and he is offering that salvation to you today. You can trust him. And because of that, those of us who are in Christ, listen, we're not only going to be resurrected one day, but we already even now being resurrected through the process of sanctification. He's moving us through the reality that all of these things are true and we will one day be with him forever. So we rejoice today. Because he is alive. The tomb is empty. Our lives have been changed. And we can have absolute confidence in every single word of God. Because it is tested and it is true. And you can leave today with the celebration that all Jesus has conquered is conquered forever. And you are free. You're free. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand together, if you would. Stand together right now, everyone. Cross Point Center, stand up with me. All of us. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out with two songs of celebration and worship because of the reality of our risen Savior. Father, thank you for the truth of what we've heard this morning. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is alive. He is risen. And because of that, our confidence is fully in him. And Father, it is objective truth that is provable, but mostly in the lives of people who have been changed by the power of Christ. And Father, as we are reminded again and again of the resurrection, may we be reminded again and again of the vital importance that his body was resurrected from the dead and that, Father, every word we say, we can have confidence that flows from the message and the truth of your gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org nextsteps. Till next time.